Yes, thank you, Carpenter family. It's great to hear your story. Um, I know you guys, your church has inspired McBick in terms of foster and orphan care and also in terms of refugee care, and that's something we've really been looking at to promote in our church and raise up, uh, raise up groups that, that really focus on that ministry as well. When Trent asked me last, late last year about preaching here, I was really excited and uh, am, am happy to be with you today, just this opportunity to share. There's a couple of reasons I'm excited to be here. First of all, Daniel is my favorite Bible character. And so when Trent said, you can sign up for anybody you want, I quickly went on the email, uh, followed the link, and signed up for Daniel. And uh, if I preached about Daniel every time I wanted to at my church, people would get kind of tired of hearing about him. I looked at my Bible, and I see four times that I've preached on him in the last like six, seven years, five or six years, and so I'm excited to be able to preach about him today. A second reason I've been looking forward to sharing God's Word with you is that I love your church. Uh, there are so many wonderful people here who I interact with throughout the community in various ways, and looking around, I can see some of you out there. I got to talk with many people after the service. I also appreciate the outstanding staff that you have. I regularly cross paths with Trent, uh, Ryan Keith, who I know is no longer here, is in Atlanta, and Renee, and also Ian, Dan, and Nate, uh, probably interact with some others as well, but um, those came to mind especially. And your previous pastor, Phil Thorne, was a mentor to me, and I've met him for breakfast several times over the last couple years. Uh, you're blessed with an awesome staff. I'm also a big fan of your church because of the impact you have on our local community. And I've especially appreciated Trent and Ryan and Renee's involvement in work that we're doing collectively as a church in this region. And that's especially important to me because a church your size doesn't need, any church, doesn't need other churches. You have ministries and programmings. You have enough to keep focus on. Your pastoral staff does. It's sometimes easy for a large church to fall into the rut of thinking, we can do what God wants us to do in this community and fail to understand that what God wants to do really is a partnership among churches in the community. And so I'm really grateful to Trent and your team for really embracing that and for, for you as a church. I don't think you understand how much it means when a church of your size and status focuses not just on building its own empire, but willingly invests in other pastors and churches and in our local community. West Shore is truly a valued partner to me, uh, to McBick, and to other pastors in our churches in our community, and I'm grateful to be able to say to all of you, thank you for that. I enjoy preaching on Bible characters because there's so much we can learn from their lives. Uh, in fact, McBick this summer is going to be doing a series on Old Testament characters. Daniel isn't in our series, so I can't preach this sermon again, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, preaching on different uh, Old Testament characters. Many of the personalities you're studying in this series, including Daniel, weren't ministry professionals. They weren't prophets, priests, missionaries, or preachers. They were men and women who loved God and lived their lives for him. And too often, I think, in the American church, we embrace the misconception that real ministry is best left to the professionals. And those who aren't pastors, missionaries, Christian counselors, or who teach in Christian schools or colleges are relegated to showing up and filling seats on a Sunday morning, to volunteering in ministry so that the staff can do their job, and don't forget giving so that the work of the church can be supported. Well, that's a warped picture of church. 
you all are the backbone of who this church is. I say this often at my church, if McBick's ministry rested on what I could do and what I could dream up, it'd be a really lame church. My wife would probably go because she loves me and supports me, but uh, my kids probably wouldn't. And I'm not sure anybody else, maybe my parents, my parents would probably go too. But it'd be a pretty small church. So much of what McBick does flows out of the passion and vision and gifting of the people that sit out where you sit here. And I know that's true for your church as well. When I started out in ministry as a youth pastor over 30 years ago, I began in pastoral ministry when I was 10. I had that faulty idea, that was a joke. I had the faulty idea that and assumed that if people were really committed to doing God's will, they'd be serving in full-time ministry. And the longer I've been in ministry, the more I've come to realize the fallacy of that thinking. I've seen people in all kinds of professions, stay-at-home moms and dads, retired folks, students, have a powerful impact in their neighborhoods, in their schools, in their workplaces, and in their churches. I believe that every follower of Jesus is called to be a missionary wherever we're placed and with whomever we have in our sphere of influence. I believe that each of us is an answer to Jesus' prayer, Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13, Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase fleshes that out. He says, we're called to be salt that brings out God flavors, and we're called to be light that brings out God colors in our world. I love that picture bringing out God flavors, drawing out God colors. Now, what I'm saying to you is probably not new. I'm sure Pastor Trent and your staff say some of these things all the time, but the beauty of having a guest speaker come in is that you have an opportunity to hear somebody different. Those of you who watch sports, because I think it's on those channels, maybe it's other places, have probably seen those commercials recently about the TV dads. If you haven't seen that, Google it after the service, please. But if you haven't seen it, Google it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But often, a different voice can really say the same thing maybe that people are saying all the time, but you hear it in a different way. Well, that's enough for my introduction. I want us to jump now into Daniel's story. And for Daniel's story, I'm going to read a lot of, first, of uh, Daniel chapter 1 and also Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to read from my notes because... I understand you guys use the ESV, the English Standard Version, and I typically use the NIV, so I have this, the, verse, uh, the version that you'll be using and I think will be on the screen, and uh, you can follow along that way. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 21, and I'll kind of break it up by giving some commentary in between. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a portion, a daily portion of the food that the king ate, 
and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. There's a lot of tough names in there. I have a tip for you if you're ever asked to read a Bible passage and you're struggling with the names. I tell this to my church. If you read it fast and confidently, people think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Nobody's going to say, hey, that name's not really pronounced that way. Um, these verses provide us the context for Daniel's story. The Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar invaded the capital city of Jerusalem and subdued it. Now, that's something that the Israelite prophets had been forecasting for decades. But God's people thought that since they were God's favored people, that couldn't happen to them. And so they were shocked when it actually occurred. In addition to sacking the city and plundering it, the Babylonians took some of the best and brightest of the Judean young men. And in that group was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the practice of the Babylonians was a bit different than some other nations. Rather than sending in a foreign ruler to rule over the subjected nation and make them feel even more upset, they thought if they trained some of the best and brightest young minds of the nation that they had captured and sent them back, the people would be more apt to follow them and, and wouldn't be so upset. And so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among this group of young men. I'll continue reading at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. The danger that, or the dilemma that Daniel and all the deported young men from Jerusalem faced was that their Babylonian indoctrination and training went directly against the way they were supposed to live, worship, and eat as Israelites, as devout Jews. Now, most of the young Israelites apparently accepted the situation, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And so he went to the official overseeing him, and he asked for permission not to defile himself with the Babylonian food and wine. God gave Daniel favor with the official. And I want you to remember that word favor. It, it recurs a lot in Daniel's story. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, another one of my favorite Old Testament characters, you'll see the word favor mentioned in his story a lot as well. Daniel had favor with the official because God had given him that. But the official was afraid, was afraid that if he gave Daniel permission to eat the different food and the different wine, that he would, uh, his health would suffer and the official would end up being punished. Well, let's pick up again, reading at verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them 
for 10 days. Now, we begin to see not only Daniel's courage in this situation, but the wisdom that he had, especially for such a young man. He proposed a test to the official. He asked that along with his friends, he'd be allowed to drink water and eat only vegetables. And then at the end of the 10 days, they could kind of compare who looked healthier. So that if their appearance was worse and they weren't as healthy, then um, they could go to eating what the other people were eating and drinking. It was a brilliant suggestion because it placed faith in God and really put God in a position of needing to act. And it also provided space for the official to be able to make his own decision. Rather than Daniel doing a hunger strike or picketing or saying, I'm not going to eat that food or whatever, Daniel really put it in his hands and said, let's do a test. Let us try what I'd like to eat and drink for 10 days and then compare us and see who looks better. In verses 15 to 20, we read the results. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding of all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters who were in his kingdom. Instead of passively accepting what was expected of him, Daniel exercised great courage. He placed his faith in God to, to provide for him and his friends, and God came through. And not only was Daniel, were Daniel and his friends healthier and superior in appearance, God blessed them with superior understanding and knowledge. And Daniel had the gift of interpreting dreams, which if we were to read all of those six chapters, you would see comes into play several times uh, in him being able to glorify God through that gift. And then it concludes with, they were found to be 10 times better than all the king's wise men. Now, these guys are probably somewhere in their late teens by this point, after three years. And yet their wisdom and understanding is 10 times better than all the king's magicians and wise men and enchanters. What takes place in Daniel 1 is powerful. And there's so much here that I could draw out. And I'll probably say this several times, but if you're not familiar with Daniel's story or you haven't read it for a while, do yourself a favor and read chapters one through six. It's a powerful account of how God works through someone who's faithful in obeying him. I wanna share, I shared chapter one with you because as important as it is, it really sets the stage for what comes later in Daniel's life. Verse 21 says this, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now that might seem like a unimportant historical fact, but it's really critical. Listen to this. Daniel was deported to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar around 605 BC, nearly 600 years before Jesus. And approximately 65 years later, in 539 BC, 
King Cyrus of the Persian Empire came to the throne. Cyrus apparently ruled for several years, and then a man named Darius took over as king. Now, the names of Darius, Cyrus, and Nebuchadnezzar really aren't that important, except for the fact that they help us identify the span of time when Daniel was in power. I want to highlight two things about what's probably a 65-year span. That's a long time for anyone to be in a significant leadership position. 65 years is a long time, but especially for someone who's in a political office. 65 years is practically unheard of. If Daniel was around 15 years of age when he went to Babylon, he was approximately 80 when Darius became king. The second thing I want to point out, not only was Daniel in a significant position of leadership for decades, as many as 65 years, but he started out in the Babylonian empire and then later was uh, in a high position in the Persian empire. I mean, that would kind of be like being a part of the Russian upper echelon of leaders and Russia's taken over by China and the same guy stays in power. Like that would be unheard of. Normally in a situation like that, when another empire takes over, off with the heads of everybody in the previous administration, and bring all the new people in. But Daniel's reign of power in leadership uh, transcended the Babylonian and the Persian empires. I think that's remarkable. That was a result of God's favor resting on Daniel. I want to skip ahead now to chapter 6, and this is really where I want us to hone in on. Chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished, not extinguished, distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit, we know what that spirit was, right? An excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. I want to read that again. That's really important. 65 years of history, right? They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, I love this, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They've got 65 years of him being a significant leader to kind of rifle through all the records, and they can't find anything. I don't have to go into great detail, but anytime a person is put forward for a position in our government or for a a judgeship or whatever, everybody looks through, you know, people look through the past and they come up with stuff. Daniel had had been in a lead role for 65 years, and at the end of looking through and trying to find fault, all they could say was, we're not going to find anything on this guy 
unless it has to do with how he worships God and how he lives his life. Have I mentioned how much I love Daniel? I mean, this guy's story is awesome. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson, who passed away a number of years ago, wrote a book about ministry, longevity in ministry, and the title perfectly describes Daniel's life. A long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Daniel's life was the epitome of a long obedience in the same direction. After 65 to 70 years in significant government leadership roles in the Babylonian and then in the Persian Empire, he reached such a high position, probably something like prime minister in our terminology, that his colleagues grew jealous of his success. They tried to find anything they could against him to bring him down, and all they could find was, there's nothing there unless it has to do with how he worships his God. Wow. There's nothing there. After six to seven decades of high-level service in a foreign government, there are no scandals, no misappropriated funds, no abuse of power, no sexually inappropriate behavior, no evidence of him mistreating anyone. The only thing they've got is how sincere and devout Daniel is in following the worship of his God. That's amazing. I want to continue at Daniel chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 16, kind of tells the, more of the story here. Then these officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, notice they lied there because Daniel wasn't in this group, they all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition, i.e. praise or worships, to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. I just want to pause before I continue. Um, these guys knew how to speak to the king's ego, right? They came to him and they said, King, you're so awesome. We were just talking about how great you are and how we could honor you. And all of us, presumably including Daniel, had this great idea that instead of worshiping any other god or any other idol, that the whole kingdom should worship you alone for the next 30 days. And if anybody breaks that law, they should be thrown to the lion's den. The king kind of puffed out his chest and said, you know, I am pretty awesome, aren't I? Uh, that does sound like a great idea. Let's make it a decree. Reading at verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his chamber, open, up, upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, 
Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said, No, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians. No injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Most of us are probably familiar with this part of the story, and it really kind of tells itself, so I'm not going to make a lot of comments. But you know, if you know the story, that God delivered Daniel from the lions. You can read that at the end of chapter 6. To sum up what happened, the king who loved and admired Daniel was horrified when he realized he'd been duped into making a law that indicted Daniel, but his hands were tied. King Darius couldn't save Daniel from the lion's den, but God did. We're told that God shut the lion's mouths and Daniel's life was preserved. Excuse me. I want to wrap up our time today by highlighting three things. Now, I know when a preacher says he wants to wrap up his time, people start gathering their stuff. We're not wrapping up yet that much, okay? I'll say finally when we're going to do that. But for right now, we're moving toward that point. I want to highlight three things for us that I think have significant implications for us. And I want to begin with something that kind of troubles me about Daniel, and that is that he's nearly perfect. I mean, if you look at Joseph, if you look at other Old Testament characters, many of them are very flawed individuals that God works through in powerful ways in spite of their flaws. When you look at Daniel, you're hard-pressed to identify anything that he did wrong. It seems perfect. And that can be a struggle for us. And maybe for some of us say, we don't really know what to do with that guy because we're not perfect. So I'm not sure how, to, how we're supposed to emulate his life. But I want you to understand this. When we examine Daniel's life, we see his courage and his devotion to God. We see his integrity as he interacted with people. And we take note of his humility. Daniel is an amazing example for us of a man who lived faithfully for the duration of his life, a long obedience in the same direction. And I would submit to you that God's favor rested on Daniel in such a way because of his faithfulness and his obedience. And so as we look at Daniel's life, we're not just looking at a guy who was perfect. We're looking at someone on whom God's favor rested and God allowed him to walk with integrity and faithfulness and in obedience for such a long time. In a time when so many people start their lives well, attain early success, and then crash and burn due to pride, moral failures, or the abuse of power, Daniel provides a great example for us to emulate. I want to be like Daniel. And my hope for you is that you'll want to be like Daniel as well. 
A second thing I'm reminded of when I view Daniel's life is the impact that a person can have even in difficult and unlikely circumstances. I mean, think about it. Daniel's probably a 15 to 17-year-old kid plucked out of his home, taken to a completely foreign nation, told to eat, drink, eat and drink and worship things that he'd never been supposed to do before, and yet he thrives. He ends up leading in a rulership position, a ruling position for six to seven decades as God's favor rests on him. Daniel's influence went far beyond what he could have asked God for or even imagined. I'm reminded of Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite verses. Now, I was eating dinner with my daughter last night, and she said, Dad, when you go to West Shore to preach, you can say it's your favorite verse, and nobody will know any different. Because at McBick, I'm notorious for having many favorite verses. So this is one of my favorites, probably one of my favorite verses. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Daniel's influence, and I believe your influence and my influence, has the potential to impact others beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Many of us have probably had the experience where a friend or a coworker or somebody we interact with at some point told us how much their lives were impacted by us. And it shocked us because we thought, I don't really do anything. I just hang out with them. What, what are they seeing? And in our mind, we're kind of clicking through. What are, they, what are they talking about? Many of us have probably had that experience. We have no idea the kind of impact we have on people's lives. Many of us tend to downplay or overlook the influence and impact our lives have on others. It's easy for us to go through life on cruise control, taking life as it comes. But when we do that, we're in danger of missing out on what God wants to do in and through us. God can and wants to do more in your life and in my life than we can even imagine. Finally, this is getting close to the end. Finally, when I examine Daniel's life, I see the way God's favor rested on him and he was granted astounding success. God's grace and mercy is undeserved, but often God's favor rests on us as we obey him and commit ourselves to faithfully following him. One of the prayers I used to pray over my kids as I would walk or drive them to school every day was, God, let your favor rest on them in such a way that people are attracted to you through their lives. And one day, one of my kids said, Dad, why do you pray the same prayer every day? And I said, because we're placed here to glorify and honor God. And one of the primary ways we do that is by living our lives in such a way that people are attracted to God through what they see in us. And that happens not through us being gifted or smart or strong or whatever. That happens as God's favor rests on us. God's favor rested on Daniel in a unique way. God was able to accomplish his purposes through him, even in a pagan country that knew nothing about God. And when I think about Daniel's life and desire for people to see Jesus in me, I'm reminded of what Luke wrote 
in Acts 4.13, another of my favorite verses. Now, when they saw the boldness or the courage of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized these men had been with Jesus. This is the religious rulers, the ones who just weeks before were responsible for seeing Jesus crucified. They had done everything they could to stamp out belief in Jesus. And when they saw the disciples, when they saw Peter and John and the power and the courage and the boldness with which they preached, they said, "Uh uh-oh, we've seen this once before. These guys have been hanging out with Jesus. The Jesus, by the way, that we killed because we didn't really think he was God's son. But they noticed that they had been with Jesus. May the fact that we've been with Jesus be evident to people as they observe our lives. My hope for myself, for my family members, for the people I pastor at McBick, and for you all as a church family, is that our lives will be characterized by a long obedience in the same direction. That God's favor will rest on us in such a way that people who don't know him will be attracted to our Lord and Savior through our lives. Let's pray and invite the worship team to come up. Father, I thank you so much for the example of Daniel. Daniel, I thank you for the way he lived his life, for the obedience and faithfulness and courage that he exhibited. And I thank you most for the way your favor rested on him. And God, my prayer for me, my prayer for every person here today, those watching online, is that your favor would rest on us. Because your favor, God, goes way beyond our strength, our wisdom, our abilities, and points people toward you. I thank you for the privilege that you give each of us of partnering with you in leading people to know you. Of all the ways that you could have chosen to get your message out, to help people come to know you as their Lord and Savior, your primary plan is that that would happen through the likes of us. We confess that that's intimidating. But God, we believe that as your favor rests on us, that we can accomplish the purpose that you have for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.